it's a love story in a way. This woman really loved her husband. You know, it's about flawed characters. It's about healing. It's about relationships in general. And everybody in this book, who's a main character, has something that needs kind of a resolution in some way. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. You know what? I love getting away with my family and friends occasionally. I don't do it too often, but when I do, I just love to relax and just spend time with them. But I tell you what, I was very hungry to get back to you today because I love podcasting. Now, on today's show, I have the pleasure of welcoming producer and author Jennifer Manacherian to talk about her novel, Alphabet. Now, during this content-rich call, Jennifer and I will be taking a deep dive into the book, and we're going to explore how writing a book is different from screenwriting. So with that all being said, Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, look, it's an absolute pleasure. I, I, to and have now you. I want to know where, where did you go on vacation? I actually went to a place called Gawla. Um, it's a, a sorry, Gulwa. There's two ends of the spectrum there, and it's um kind of a coastal town. And it's uh we go cabining. We don't camp or use tents or Ooh. anything like that. We there's these beautiful sort of luxury sort of um uh, you know villas if you like, and we and they're on the seafront, and they're so beautiful. Just uh, you know what I mean. Just put your feet up for a while and just do a whole heap of nothing all at once. Well, that's called glamming, right? Yes, absolutely. That's what we were doing. <laughs> Now, tell me a little bit about you, Jennifer. Where are you calling in from today? Well, I live in New York. Mm -hmm. I live outside of New York, about half hour outside of New York City. And I have lived here for practically, well, I've lived in the East Coast all my life. So I am a I am a East Coast person. Now, tell me a little bit. I know that a lot of people who have never been to New York always think that New York is nothing more, nothing more than concrete and steel. I know that there's more, much more than that. Tell us a little bit about the environment outside of the main city. Oh, outside of the main city. Yeah. But I was, but I'm, New York is more than concrete. It's, it's, it, has a, it has a life force. It's a life force, yes. New York City. It's exciting. Yeah. And I've always I've loved New York City. Living outside the city, I, I live in the suburbs. It's not, I, I don't know if I don't. I don't know if I am a suburban person at heart. Maybe I would be probably better in country. Yep. With you know, with cows and horses and pastures and stuff. But in <laughs> yep. I live in a suburb, which is fine. I, I mean, I love where I live. It's nice. I have two dogs who roam around, and I have cats. And yep. I, in fact, when my kids were young, which is a very long time ago, we we had everything. We had goats. We had chickens. Uh, we had we had just about every kind of pet that a, that a family could have. <laughs> we had rodents. You name it, we had it. It was fun. Absolutely. I uh, I remember growing up on a farm, very similar situation. We had ferrets. We would go rabbiting and oh. it was so grounding, wasn't it? Oh, I love it. My I, One of my daughters has, she actually has a real farm. She has llamas and she has cows. The cows give birth. They have bulls. It's fun. Yes. Yes. I, I love that. I, there's a part of me that wishes I was born like, was a pioneer woman and was milking the cows, <laughs> getting the eggs in the morning. I mean, yeah. that would have been fun. Yeah, no, well, I can, I can recall, you know, mushroom picking down our driveway and, you know, doing the mm -hmm. eggs and all the rest of the things that you've just spoken about. You've just triggered some memories of mine that, you know, they seem long lost, don't they, until we start talking about them again. No, I love, I mean, city life, there's, I mean, there's a lot of ways of living. And actually, you know, this is kind of rambling off subject, but, when I was a kid, we had a home in a place called Rockport, Massachusetts, which is like the easternmost part of the United States. Right. And and it's and it was, um, 
you know, is fishing and uh, it, just the, the kind of the life. I mean, you live in Australia. Maybe it's different. But today in the United States, which has got a lot of a lot of problems going on and violence and you never, you know, this whole issue of kids biking and, you know, kind of happy childhood and normal apple pie life is kind of very hard to find anymore unless oh, you yes. get really, really far from a city. And even then, it's you just never know. Yeah. No, well, I have to agree with you. I remember growing up, we used to have hammocks outside the uh, main farmhouse where we were growing up and we would sleep out the front on the hammocks. Oh, that's neat. And we would have um, people that we didn't know just roaming up and down the street, but they would know your name. Nowadays, you would never find that, would you? No, not only that, but I don't think you would do that anymore. No, you definitely wouldn't. <laughs> Although I have a hammock, I have a hammock on my second floor porch, which oh, I made into like a little house for my cats, where they can be outside without being outside. Oh, I love it. And I, and I try to sleep there at night. Sometimes it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Now tell me about your pets. I'm a big pet lover. Okay. Well, I have I have two dogs, which are rescue dogs. They come from Texas, uh, which is a story that's too long. It'll fill your whole podcast. But, <laughs> but they were rescue dogs. That one of them actually was flown in on a private plane. Oh, really? Because there are private plane pilots who volunteer to to, to transport uh, rescue animals all across the United States. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so it was pretty fantastic, and my other one came on a long bus. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, in this, I don't know. Again, I don't know the different culture in your country, but it's you know much better to to adopt if you can rather than to get a, a full breed. Here's a secret: we have uh, two uh, pedigree uh, dogs, but also a rescue. Yeah, yeah, well, we we appreciate it. Yeah, we've had it all, and my cat, my cats actually, my I had two other cats who were rescues who died. A couple of years ago and we had a very hard time during COVID adopting another cats and I really I have to have animals I mean yes. I just feel like they just make my life better and we had a very hard time being able to find what we wanted there were so many people who wanted animals during that time yeah and so anyhow we wound up buying a couple of amazing cats they're Egyptian Mao and I can only say that they are pretty they're the fastest cat there is I can imagine. Look, I, I know from a therapeutic standpoint that um, people of all ages, of all backgrounds, have this natural, innate connection with animals. They, they don't speak, but they can speak with their eyes, can't they? No, they're, they're soulful and they care about you and they don't judge you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're, they're very empathetic. You're right. I mean, if you're suffering, they somehow sense it. Yep. Yeah, and they also, they come down to the energy level that you give them for sure and certain. Now, tell me, beyond uh, the love of your, your pets, what do you like to do with yourself? Do you have any hobbies? Do you do anything like that? Well, I well yes, I do, but I also have to mention I have a large family. I don't want to say, like, my animals are the only thing in my life. <laughs> of course, yes. I have five adult children, and I have 15 grandchildren, and they're certainly a very important part of my life. And... Um, I, you know, I love to read. I love to go to movies. I, I knit constantly. I, my yep. husband is a television watcher. So at night while he watches, if I'm not interested, I knit. And I, knit, I do quite a lot of what you call charity knitting. Right. I make, I make bears for children and I make uh, cancer caps. And I mean, I, I am, unfortunately, I, I'm cursed. I don't know if cursed or blessed. I don't know if the right <laughs> word. With having to be busy all the time. Yep. 
uh, it's not i mean i can if i if i go somewhere to relax i can really let go um, but I, it's like I have two speeds, full speed and no speed. <laughs> no speed. <laughs> but I yeah. have my, I mean, there's never, I, my day, I never have enough time in a day for all the things that I love to do. And you know what? I think given the, the love of family above and beyond anything else, um, you wouldn't trade it for the world, would you? No, no, I wouldn't. I mean, I understand people who feel like children don't fit into their lives. But um, when I married, I was very young. Yep. And my, I had my, actually, I turned 21 in the hospital with my first child. And it was a whole different era. Yeah. And by the time I was 27, I had four children and I also had a nephew living with us. So essentially I had five children until I actually gave birth to my fifth child. <laughs> and, you know, we just didn't think about it. I, I wanted a large family. I couldn't be any happier that I have all my children. So let's but go I, back. A, let's go back a little step further. I want to explore your childhood. Now, tell oh, me, do you, do you have a memory, a fond memory that you can share with us? We talked about your farm and all the rest of it. What's one oh, thing out of all of that that you recall? My childhood. Wow. Now we're really going back. Far. <laughs> oh, yeah. I I I tell you, I'm what I'm going to mention is we lived in a house. I don't know. If, how much acreage we had, maybe a couple of acres. Yep. And and in, at the end of our, the lawn that we had, my mother had a vegetable garden. And during World War II, she had what's called a victory garden. And she, so she had, a, we had a very nice vegetable garden. And beyond that was a woods. And unfortunately, you can imagine what happens these days. Now, I think it's like all um, housing, you know, yep. the, land like that gets grabbed up. But it was a wonderful woods. And it had a brook in it and it had a well in it. And the funniest thing happened a couple of years. The well was like, it wasn't like a, a well that, you know, with the chain and you look down and it yes, was like yes. a little, it was like a hut. Yeah. And it was a little bit creepy. <laughs> and my younger sister told me a couple of years ago, and I never knew this, that during, she thought Hitler lived inside that well. Oh, <laughs> I mean, that's so. I mean, I was shocked that she would have thought that. But we were very young, and people, you know, there was a lot of uh, rah-rah stuff, patriotic songs yes. and stuff going on. Yep. And I guess we heard something about Hitler, so she had decided Hitler was in the well. Uh, well, I, that woods was like my playground. I had so much fun in that woods, yeah. and we used to go and we would put. There was a railroad track, and we there was a like a, a tunnel underneath it and we would put pennies on the railroad track and then we would go under the tunnel wait for the train to go over it and then find our pennies it was great yeah you know what this is the reason that i love stories so much it's because it brings out a completely different side to our being and it reveals just a little bit about ourselves doesn't it it does well i hadn't thought about that in a long time you know, it's how do you pick it? You know, if somebody, if you know, if that was a question you asked me in advance, I would have prepared something no. in, my, in my mind. So it became yeah. just, you know, whatever that woods just came to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely wonderful. And this is the thing I think is fundamentally different about the My Future Business Show. So I really do appreciate you sharing. Now, tell me a little bit about um, the people that were around you that had an influence on the person that you've become today. Was there anybody like that? Well, um, aunties, uncles, parents. Well, my parents, my my parents were both influences on me in different ways, and it's interesting because 
my mother, my parents were in their mid nineties when they died. Right. And they, I don't think anything was thrown away ever. So when, when I went through their apartment that they lived in, I found all these diaries my mother had written from yeah. like, the, like 1915 into the 70s. I mean, she all, I mean, it was almost, it was almost, I still haven't read it all. Like but, a daily thing. So I, what I found out a lot about myself that was that was like the same thoughts that my mother was having that I never really attributed to my mother because I've always had a certain drive. And I thought it was because I could, I never felt like I could meet my father's approval. My father was, it's almost like a negative thing you're talking about, but my mm. father was, uh, he very well educated, very smart uh, Englishman who kind of felt, he once said to me, there's nothing I can know that you don't know, which was a pretty awful thing for a parent to say. <laughs> but my father, you know, I always, at least I know my sisters feel like I lived to kind of live up to some standard of my father. I don't think that. In fact, it wasn't until after my mother's death that I realized the extent to which she influenced me. Yeah. And kind of my, my kind of uh, just need to be, always um, meeting some kind of an internal standard. And my my parents also had a, we lived in a very conventional suburban neighborhood and there wasn't a big mix of people. Yep. And, and my parents had friends who were like outside. <laughs> they had friends who were actors and different, you know, different people. And I always loved differences. And my, you know, even even having an English father made me different within our community. Mm -hmm. so, so one of the ways in which I think w was my was interesting to me, I've always been interested in stories like you are and in differences, people who are different. I, I never like, you know, I'm, I never kind of I've never fit into one groove. No. Yeah. And in fact, I married my husband's Iranian um, and he was he was lived in Iran until he was about 14. So he was pretty well formed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And that doesn't go away. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Look, well, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, on the flip side of things, we've talked about people that have influenced you in your life. I'm wondering, given your large family, what do you think that you've imparted on your own children and your grandchildren that will be a legacy for you? Well, I think I've become, um, I mean, I, I say this, I mean, it sounds very immodest. I don't like tooting my own horn. And I really attribute a lot of it to the kind of energy I have because I feel like my mother, there was a DNA, uh, some kind of a, you know, a little crazy religious, uh, not religious, relentless drive. Yes, yes, that, yes. And I mean, I, I, I do, I, I'm kind of tireless. And, I, and so I attribute a lot of the fact that I'm in my mid 80s and I'm still, I mean, I'm still evolving. <laughs> that may sound ridiculous, but, you know, this year I, this year I, uh, filmed a movie as I was both a producer and a writer on it, a co-producer and a co-writer on it. And it was yep. something I've been working on for years, but we filmed that movie. That was one thing I've done this year. And I'm, Oh my God, it's been like a year of learning for me at my age. Um, so I, uh, I also wrote a book um, that's published and is all over the place. I also, I've had to learn how to market a book. So it's like, I feel like I've been learning in all different directions, how to publish, how to market, how to produce a movie mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and i i feel like i feel like the way in which i may influence my children and certain and i also teach and i know i'm sorry i just got to take no, absolutely no no it's fine 
I feel like I've become a role model for old age, where as long as you're healthy and you have the energy, there's nothing to stop you. It's just a number. It, well, it's, it's, it isn't just a number because, listen, your body tells you in many ways how old you are. You wake uh -huh. up in the morning, it's a little harder. Yep. You know, there's ways in which you become more limited, but I think your biggest limitation is in your head. You know, there was a, there was a time for me when I would, particularly with writing the book, um, that one of the choices I made with my book was to, to publish it through a hybrid publisher rather than trying to get an, uh, an agent and do that pro whole pop, you know, mm -hmm. more, more legitimate process. Yep. Because I felt that would take me years. And I became so, and I'm also kind of controlling. And in self-publishing, you have control over your title, your cover. You know, there's a lot of ways in which you have control. Yep. So I found I got a hybrid publisher who only accepts like 15% of submissions. So I felt... There was a selection process. It wasn't just like I just did it. And they were very helpful to me. But what I want to say is that, oh, it's funny. I have a salt thing here. In a way, I've kind of been very aware of the sand yes. in the hourglass and yes. how many grains there are left. Yes. And that does impact you. And there was a time when I was a little few years ago where I kept thinking about those grains that were up there and feeling like, I, you know, I... What am I? I shouldn't keep going because it's ridiculous. But, and then I did a shift, mental shift, and I decided, what the hell? As long as I'm, excuse my language. That's fine. As long as I'm feeling good and I'm energized and I have ideas and things I want to do, why should I stop? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. The, no, but I did have a mental block. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I did have a block, but I feel like I'm the. I looked at the, you know, maybe. Do I keep, do my kids feel like I shortchanged them? Well, I started working when my youngest child, I was about 34 when she was born. Mm -hmm. And I started working then, but it was just like one foot out the door. I didn't work full time at that time. Yeah. I was, I became a, a, a family therapist. I mean, I actually had to get my under, I didn't finish college. I had gone to Barnard and I didn't finish and I didn't get my undergraduate degree till the same year I had my youngest child. Yeah. And then I got a master's degree and then, then I um, started working and I became a family therapist and then I did divorce mediator. And, and everything I did, I was also trying to be super mom. So, you know, I tried to fit it. I hope, you know, I hope my children don't feel like I shortchanged them. Um, I, I've tried, I, to this day, I try to be there for everybody for anything that they need. That, that they need, yeah. But I'm also, yeah, but I'm also, I, and I think I'm a good model that way too, mm -hmm. because I am very available, but I also, um, you know, I also have my own interest and in the things that interest me in my life. And I think so, that this is why podcasts and video podcasts is, is, uh, especially are a great way to create a record of how you felt about your family and the things that you've tried to do for them. So I really do appreciate you sharing. Now, tell me a little bit about your day, Jennifer. Are you an early riser and what's the day look like for you typically? Ah, well, I am not an early riser. I am a <laughs> I I I I have to wake up with an alarm to be honest with you because I wouldn't I probably would sleep nine nine and a half hours if I didn't set my alarm I don't know for whatever reason maybe it's because I go to sleep late I don't know but I just am not I I usually get up around eight thirty eight eight thirty right. yep and I often sometimes I I will have um, 
Well, I teach sometimes I'll have like a 930 appointment or or something I have to do it at that time. Yep. And my I would say my work day, so to speak, begins at 930 because I have breakfast with my husband. Mm. And and then the rest, most of the rest of the day, I mean, to be honest with you, if, if I don't have things that I have to do, I write. I mean, I, I'm not somebody who needs to be motivated. I'm very self-motivated. Mm-hmm. And right, right now, actually, I have a second book that I'm wanting. To, I'm dying to write, and I just don't get. I'm not getting the time because between the movie, and marketing my book, and teaching, and other things that happen during the course of the day, I often uh, I'm just not getting the block of time I need. Right. Um, I don't. But what do I mean? Typically, in a day, I I'm really attending to a lot of these things. The movie. I mean, it sounds odd, but the movie always has things. I, I mean, like, it sounds really superficial. But, I mean, one of the things we're trying to do, do right now, we're finishing putting in the titles so we can lock the picture. Yep. And what I mean, I mean the, end, the end credits is what I mean. Yep. And, like, who am I thanking? I mean, this is ridiculous. Like, it's not like a huge problem. But you, but I don't know, you know. who You're is very the, busy. Who, well, I am. I mean, my day just doesn't stop. And it's a good it's, thing, but I guess there's a difference between being busy and productive. Do you know the difference between the two, and can you recognize it? Well, I feel that I'm not always productive, but I'm pretty productive. <laughs> I'm always busy. I'm always busy. Am I always productive? I I don't. Well, nobody's. I I think there's. I like an end product to my time. That's why I like gardening. That's why I like cooking. Yes. That's, yes. I mean, I I feel like I'm pretty productive <laughs> yeah do you like uh, do you have a particular meal that you like to cook is there a favorite oh well i have in my my kids everybody most of my except for one of my grandchildren right now does not live in the in the area but the rest of them everybody lives nearby yep and every sunday for years it's been it's like open house for our family and sometimes they'll want to be friends whatever and they always want to have Persian food, which is e- easy for me to do. Mm-hmm. It can be, you know, I, I wait, and they don't tell me if they're coming or not. I mean, <laughs> it's like one of my kids said to me, Mom, if I have to tell you, then figure we're not coming. And I thought, well, no, I, I'll just prepare. What the heck? So, I, you know, I'll cook for like 20, 25 people. And if they don't all come or if nobody comes, then more for us, right? Yep, yep. And so... It's been years that we've done that, and every now it's like I mean I've got a couple of married grandchildren, I've got kids who are, you know, adult grandchildren. They have their own lives, but people always show up. I mean it's really nice, and sometimes they'll bring friends. Sometimes they'll ask if they can bring friends. Sometimes <laughs> the doorbell will ring, and I'll, I have to be very careful to say, "Oh, I didn't know you were coming." <laughs> <laughs> but. But I cook, but I do cook that. And I also, all my grandchildren, it's like they require me to cook something. We, I, it's funny, yesterday we were talking about the semantics of it. They have the, something called chicken tenders, which is just, you know, that little. It's I'm a little, aware of it. Okay. So it's a, a, we call it chicken cutlets, but that's probably not the right term. But there's a way I make the chicken tenders that it's like required every Sunday. <laughs> so that's. 
that. I always cook that. I always have some form of rice. And yesterday I made cocoa bath. I mean, I make different things. Different things. Different things for different events. Now, I'd I like, like to talk about love. Can I just, can I cut in on this? Because what I'm getting from you is that you are surrounded by love. How important is it in this world that we, we embrace love and we share more of it? Well, I'm very, I'm just very blessed. I really, I mean, I am, I've, you know, I, I put my I put the time in and I you know you have to do your own part too. Yep. But yes, I'm, I I feel badly for people who don't have that in their lives and so anyway, I do agree with you. It's very nice. Oh, absolutely. I I know that you do a lot of a lot of different things to to support and contribute to community and and I've seen a lot of the the information on your websites and I will be sharing that with everybody a little bit later on in this call but um I want to know out of all of the things all of the skill sets that you have Jennifer what do you think the one thing is that you do the best above and beyond everything else is there a thing I don't know. I mean Hard to say. I I I feel like you know the master jack of all trades, master of none. I, uh, I, don't, yep, I yep. don't feel like I don't feel like, you know, it's not like I'm a great pianist. I don't feel like I'm a great anything. I just do a lot, and I don't and I don't worry about. I love trying different things. I don't worry about failing. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't I don't have it's an answer to that. No, like that's I'm, fine. I, but I do like to write, but I write in different forms. I love writing, but I love, and I love, um, I've written a book of a, a couple of musicals and we're working on a, another one right now. I love collaborating. Right. I really do. It's, it's so much fun working with other people on something, if, if, if it's the right people. Um, but, and, I, and also, I mean, even in my writing, I have to say, it's always very family centered. I mean, if the book that I've written is, all about you know it's an old woman and the the small circle that's her life at the end of her life but it's family yep. and it's people close to her and i feel like probably everything i do that kind of filters in the whole idea of the value of family in life it's interesting you say that because before the uh, i guess the entertainment business uh, you were a family therapist tell us a little bit about that part of your life well a family therapist, you know, you're you look. You don't just look at the individual. You look at the individual within a, a family system. Yeah, it's kind of a multi generational view of people. So that you, you know, if a kid is having a problem, you're going to want to see the family too. And I, it was I I I did it for a number of years, but what happened was that I didn't have. I don't know what would have happened if I had had the right degree, but I didn't have. A, I was actually. I was on faculty at a training institute, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't have, I could I wouldn't have even been led into that program because my master's degree was not the was not, not the right degree. one. Yeah, and I couldn't get people when people are in therapy they want um, to get insurance for it, and I my degree would not qualify me for that. Ah, yep. And because so much of my adult life was spent going to school. <laughs> Even, you know, even with all my kids, I was going to school for a few years. I didn't, I just didn't have it in me to go back and get a more advanced Keep degree. Keep going, yeah. But I never, right. I mean, I always liked it. Fam Listen, I'm listening to what you say and, and how you look at life and being story driven. I mean, I, people's lives, they interest me. I also like to help people if I can. Yep. Um, I, my husband thinks that I spend most of my life trying to fix him. Um, <laughs> I've got I, a wife like that. 
But I haven't been that successful. I'm still trying. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Men are very simple creatures. <laughs> yeah, became, he became really nervous when I when I moved to theater producing. Like all of my <laughs> my need for um, having people to work on was was going to be directed at him. <laughs> I uh, love it. Oh, I, I wonder, Jennifer, are you still a, an active board member of uh, New York Stage and Film? There's others too, um, 18 by vote well, I'll and tell you, Yeah, story. I'll tell you, there's three boards that I'm on. And yeah. um, well, I've been on New York Stage and Film as a non-profit theatre company that's, excuse me, that's, that's uh, aim is, it's the early stage of development, which very few theatre uh, non-profits do, mostly they do things later stages. So we're like the breeding ground. It's a wonderful company for people who are trying to figure out what, what their work is about. You, right. it, we have a summer season every year for about six weeks. And I mean, we a lot of work has gone on to Broadway, off Broadway and regional theater. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very, it's almost 40 years of development and it's a very, it's amazing company and what's come out of it because when people come there, it's not about pleasing the audience. It's about pleasing the the writer who comes there, and what their needs are. And and the and the audience there, they've been trained. They love to be part of that early development phase. So it's a yeah. it's a really it's it, it's a win win for everybody. And then the other two, one of them is called the Peace Studio, and that's an amazing organization because the goal of that is to support artists in different within their communities of all types of media. I mean, when I say artist, it could be any type of artist. It could be anything. Yeah, who, whose message, who have find ways of spreading peace kind of in the broadest sense of the word within their mm -hmm. communities. So it's it's for healing, it's for bullying, it's for all sorts of things. And that's what our world needs right now. Absolutely, it certainly and, does. Yeah, and my, my other one is something that's very close to my heart because I grew up, when I grew up, when you turn 21, you couldn't wait to go register to vote. Now, because of what's happened in our country, and it probably started with Nixon, which is a long time ago, where people start to be disillusioned with government. Yep. yep. There's very little sense of uh, why, why vote? What does it matter? I mean, there isn't a sense of people, uh, a pride in being a citizen. And 18 by vote is an effort that's run by young people who know how to reach young people. And it's trying to get young people to register to vote. And first, you got to get them to register, and then you got to get them to vote. And they're very turned off right now. So it's yeah, it's a it's a it's actually what we, what I've learned in the process of of that nonprofit and the other one, which is the Peace Studio, is that in order to be effective, it's very grassroots. You got to go out and reach people one to one. Yep. And and help them see what's at stake for them. Why do why do you want to vote? What is what are the issues that are that directly relate to you? Do you care about the climate? <laughs> are you things. a woman? Do you care about you know the issues with abortion and everything else? You so it's really very personal, very grassroots, which makes it hard. I mean, it's not like you can have Taylor Swift sing the right song and everybody's going to go register. Uh, just, <laughs> would that that would that it were that easy? Oh, it would be a wonderful world we would live in, that's for sure. But I'd love to um, shift gears, and thank you again for sharing, into your writing. Now, when was the first time that you put pen to paper in? Why was it? What was the catalyst that led you to start writing at all? Well, I think I've always thought in terms of stories. And I, when I said to you that I've always been attracted like to differences and stuff, I feel like I'm 
personality wise, I get along with most people. Mm. <laughs> There's a few I don't, but <laughs> mostly I get along with people, but I, I'm somewhat of an outsider. I don't, I don't have a group per se. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like all different people for all different reasons. And so I feel like I've always kind of been like the little girl looking in the window. <laughs> yeah. And and I just, I think in terms of stories, I mean, one of the, so I think I've always written. If things, if something's bothering me in my life, I go to my computer and I write about it. Um, right. it, it helps me think, believe it or not. And in mm -hmm. fact, my handwriting is very bad. I cannot do it by handwriting. I have to do, I think on my computer. <laughs> and I think the first thing I did that I, actually when I was in my late 20s, I had uh, written a couple of articles for a local magazine. So that's, I started to get my feet wet that way because I've always, yep. I've always liked to write. And I, and I really liked doing it, but I had my youngest children at that time were like three and four. And I, would start to, I'd go up, the kids would drop them off at school, I would start to work on it, and next thing you know, I had to pick them up. I mean, it was very frustrating. So in my head, it's like either get rid of the kids or do something yeah. else. <laughs> I so, I, so I kept my children, and I decided to move on. I just figured it's not the time of my life to be doing this. But but I've always written, and then the and then when I was a family therapist, and particularly when I was a divorce mediator, I wrote for family professional journals. I wrote a few articles. I also wrote a, um, I co-wrote a book chapter on divorce in a family therapy textbook. It was called The Family Life Cycle. And it was, yep. when, I was when I was doing mediation. So it's like, but that's, you know, it's all different types of writing. So the, the, the more creative writing thing I did, the, I wrote a film with one of my sons in the 1990s. And we film. It's actually it's on Amazon Prime Video. It's called Family Blues. Yes, yes. And I had produced that as well. And I was, uh, you know, I it, I didn't. I'm a do-it-yourselfer, so yeah. I I didn't have much craft. I have to confess. I just we just kind of wrote it according to what we thought it needed to be. And then the director, she kind of holed us up in a room for like two weeks. <laughs> And we started working on the story and it was like, you know, it was like a, a, a not a master's course, but certainly maybe a, a bachelor's level course. Uh, of well aware. <laughs> and, and I've, and I've, since then I've always been, I kind of moonlight doing it, but I need to be creative. I mean, when I'm producing and I'm, you know, trying to raise money and stuff, I mean, it's, I love the projects and I love being part of things, but it, it doesn't have the same, it doesn't fill my creative need. No. And so I don't know. I and I've, as I say, I've gotten into writing musicals. I mean, I just hopscotch all over the place. But you I have but, to write. Simple as that. But the but the the musicals that we wrote. The first one I did where I wound up with the team that I work with now, Dan Martin and Michael Biello, and we have such a good time working together. And that was based on a movie that John and I had written that we didn't know what to do with. Um, at one point, I think the title was Four Bare Legs in a Bed, which doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, and then, then I, I kept thinking, maybe this is a maybe this is a musical. John was the one who thought that. Maybe it's a musical. So, so I, anyway, I wound up, for different reasons, I wound up having to write the book of it because we just, that I did. And when I got the composer team I needed, and that's something, that's something, I mean, it's like I plunge in. 
Yep. What's the expression? Fools rush in. Well, maybe I'm a fool. But, uh, but I'm not. But you also burn the boats. If you're going to do it, you do it 100%, don't you? Well, I, I mean, I really work very hard at what I do. And yep. so, and the screenwriting, I, I've been written, I've written several screenplays. Um, and the one, the one that's right now that we, that's in production was based on a book I optioned in 2014. So in the, in the entertainment business, a lot of things you do take forever to happen, and maybe they never happen. No. Uh, it's, it's just, it's so much you do, it's like on spec. And so that was a very long process of, of getting of, uh, of discovery. Done. Yeah, and the, and the book, actually, they're all different. I mean, it's really, again, that was another thing. I mean, my whole life, I have to say, I guess, has been learning as I do. I'm a more instinctual person. It's not, uh, you know, good or bad. That's who I am. Just and the way it is. Now, tell me something. I'd love to, before I lose my track of thought here, you talked about the four legs in the bed or whatever the title was. I wonder, where did you come up for the wonderful name called Alphabet? And I'd love for you to not only explain that for me, but tell us a little bit about what the book is about. Thank you. Well, Alphabet took me a very long time to come up with that title, a long time. I, I felt like I had to have a really good title. The title, it, the, the book is about an, an old woman. She's 95. She's a widow. And it all takes place over the course of a day. And all the characters who are in it have each have his or her own point of view. So it's done. It's one of these books that is done with multiple points of view. And they're all the, and she makes that morning. She did makes a decision. Something happens and she makes it. She would, she, um, takes as a sign from her husband that they're for who's dead <laughs> it's like he's connecting her and he's, he's reached out to her in some way and she makes a decision to give a dinner party that night and nobody knows why and the people that she invites she has a daughter and her husband she has a great granddaughter who has a boyfriend and then she has a couple of neighbors one is a nasty woman who is my favorite character to write one is a young Iranian neighbor, and then she has a Croatian housekeeper, uh, night aide, and a housekeeper. So it's a very small group who are at that party. Plus, she invites a medium, and that's another. <laughs> that's also she doesn't. The medium only has a couple of chapters. She's she's kind of peripheral, um, but makes every. the fact that everybody knows a medium is coming to this dinner party makes everybody very uneasy. Uh, I bet. <laughs> I can tell, you know, this is, it seems to be volumetric. Is this something that you intend to uh, expand on? Do you have another book waiting? Well, I do, but let me just, I just, a little bit yeah, more absolutely. about it. Yes, people. It, as you, as each person has their own, uh, each person, while it all happens over the course of the day, you do find out about their own personal history. Right. Through, you know, through for different means, you find out, you really have a good sense of who these people are. And um, when you ask me how I came up with the title, the old lady is pretty darn uh, controlling. I mean, she, she's going to be controlling till her last breath. And, and so at some point with coming up with the title, Alpha came, you know, Alpha is an easy one. I mean, I have, but, and then I, her name, I've given her 50 different names over the course of writing it. And it just came to me, it's got to be Alphabet. You know, it's, 
I, I just struck me as a title. It's such a great, oh, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> so that's how it came to me. But And one of the, the character in the book was the very unpleasant across-the-way neighbor. Um, I don't know. There's something about her that I just have fun writing. And so she's going to be the main character in the next novel that I'm working on. And yep. We'll get to know her better. And and she has a very, it'll, the trajectory, it'll be quite different. Um, writing from different points of view, I feel in a way was easier for me because uh, I'm just, this is my first, I never thought in my life I could write a novel. I took a friend of mine who's a writer had suggested I take like a sh little uh, two hours a week, every other week, a little class she was giving in narrative writing. And I figured, well, okay, let me see if I can do it. I figured if I can write a 500-page story, I, I deserve an award. And when I found out that to write a novel, it has to be a minimum of like 60,000 words. 60,000, yes, it's big ones. Oh, yeah. Never, never thought I could do it. Never. But and by having, by having different characters, in a way, I feel like it was probably an easier way for me to ease my way into novel writing because the next one is really primarily the old lady. I mean, this difficult neighbor. Yes, yeah, because you, you, I did read in your bio that it actually did explain and introduce different characters, and it's a, a fascinating uh, breakdown. And the fact that you've got a, a book underway for that particular character is uh, going to be very interesting the way it unfolds. Well, it'll, a couple, there'll, one or two of the other characters will be in it, but it's not their story, so to speak. It's uh, gonna be, yep. But um, it all, you know, it's all happens. These people are all in the same building practically. And yep. it, you know it's very it's very um, the in fact New York City is almost a character. It's mm. a very it's a very New York City story in an apartment building which is a wonderful old uh, pre-war apartment building. And, and in fact, I used my parents' apartment in my head as a model for it. Oh, there you go! Isn't it funny how uh, you know our imagination and our experiences in life um, manifest into this wonderful product called Alphabet? Now I wonder: um, Are you going to have it in different formats? Uh, is it audio it book is. or it's, written? It's, or? Yeah, oh sure. It's it's a it's a paperback. Mm -hmm. You can't get it in a bookstore at this time unless a bookstore orders it, which they can. But yep. it's on paperback. It's on uh, Kindle, and it's an Audible book. The Audible version just came out. I love Audible. <laughs> yeah. Well, Big it's fan. easy. If you're if you drive a lot, it's Audible is great. Yeah. And, and I there was something I wanted to say about but I forgot what it was. But um anyway, I it, it's I feel like it's a it's a story of it's a love story in a way. This woman yep. really loved her husband. Mm -hmm. It's it's you know, it's about flawed characters, about it's about healing, it's about you know relationships in general and how i mean everybody everybody in this book who's a main character has something they have something that needs kind of a resolution in some way or so that they all everybody has a character arc that's important and it's all somehow related to the old lady and and it's also in fact, I had worked with a developmental editor as well before I um, sent it to this publisher because she did an, um, She really was very helpful to me because I am of the belief that with writing, it takes a village. You work with, I mean, you get feedback from other people. You, To me, if you, if you just do it in isolation, you have no perspective at all on what you've done. So yes. I've, 
I have a lot of people who, you know, help me with this in different ways. But I, one of the things that she had suggested, which I hadn't done, and it was a great suggestion, was that I find a way to link all the different characters in the book to the dead husband of the old lady. So he's kind of like, they all have, it's not like he appears as a ghost, but he has a presence in the lives of all the people as they talk about their stories. Yeah, so spiritually he is there. Now, I, I'm wondering, yeah. um, we could only ever touch the surface of this wonderful book now. If anybody, Jennifer, wants to access this book, can they find, in fact, and learn more about you? Where are they going to go? Well, I have a website, which is, um, it's, you know, the HTTPS slash mm. slash. Yes, no yes. It doesn't need www. No, not. no. And then it's just my name, Jennifer Manichurian. Do you want me to spell it? No, no, I can provide the link. Oh, jennifermanichurian.net. And on my website, actually on the homepage of my website, it has my book, but it also, the picture in the back of it is actually of my parents' apartment. Oh. Um, I mean, it's it's a very personal book to me. There are things, it's not autobiographical, and yet there's so much in there that actually is, my husband's listening to it on Audible. He hadn't read it. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, it's almost like I'm hearing it for the first time oh, it's very... and, and realizing things that I really drew from in my life. There's this scene of the old man, George, at one point, the dead husband who he, he's hospitalized for something. And I took that right out of something that happened to my father. You know, it's a lot of things that I took from my life and yet it's not autobiographical. No, but it's somehow interwoven within this wonderful book. Now, I um, again, if you're on this call today, as I've mentioned, we can only scratch the surface of the depth of this book, and I highly recommend that you go to the website that uh, Jennifer's just mentioned. I'll be making sure that uh, the links to it are available below this post. No matter where you find this interview, you are definitely going to be able to find the links back to Jennifer and this book. So with all Thank that you. being said... Um, I have a lot of the reviews that are on, on that website too. Absolutely. And again, take a look around. Yeah, there's lots to learn there. You've got news reviews, you've got about the author, you've got other projects that are going on. So much great information all in one location. Thank you. So uh, if everybody, again, if you're on this call today and you want some more information, I'll be making sure that that link's available to you. So uh, with all that being said, Jennifer, this has been just a fabulous call. Thank you very much for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for having me. This was lovely.